When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Super Frank Morano. I have been doing a lot of radio these days, so my voice is a little scratchy. I'm not sick, but I think it's just a little strained from overuse. So if that's evident to you, I apologize in advance, but uh, no, this is not my Kathleen Turner impersonation. Hey, uh, we got an action-packed show for you. I'll tell you about it in just a few minutes, but first, we're going to get started with a little Ask Frank Anything. If you have questions about any subject, make them good, make them interesting. Now is the time to call 1-800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. We have fewer phone lines now, so if you don't get through right away, just call back in 10 or 15 minutes. Usually one clears up every few minutes. Hey, a uh, special programming note, I will again be sitting in alongside Andrew Giuliani for my friend Sid Rosenberg from 6 until 7 a.m. A whole bunch of people heard me in the 6 o'clock hour as they were waking up and they said, oh, I didn't know you were going to be filling in in the 6 o'clock hour. I would have made sure to listen from the beginning. Well, I'm telling you now, please set your alarm. Be sure to listen to me from 6 until 7 a.m. And listen online if you can because they do pay pretty close attention to those live streaming numbers and if I could show a little bit of a pop when I'm filling in from 6 until 7 a.m., it makes me look pretty good internally. I have to tell you, the more I get to work with and get to know Andrew Giuliani, he is just such a great guy. He's not only so intelligent and so well-versed in so many different areas, but he's very humble. I mean, it it's easy to forget when you're talking to him and listening to him, oh, yeah, this guy worked in the White House. Oh, yeah. This guy lived in Gracie Mansion and was the mayor's son. Um, it's a real pleasure to work with him. And uh, there's a lot of interesting subjects that I'm planning on going over with him, including taking issue with my colleague Curtis Lewa taking shots at this program in front of mind what he does on the radio. It's all just shtick. But to say that in front of our boss, that's not going to be a good thing for me. So I will be giving Curtis a hard time in the six o'clock hour. Hopefully you'll tune in and be a part of it. Let me hear your questions. 800 848-WABC. Beam me up. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This morning, I received an SMS text message. Yesterday morning, technically, as I was driving home after doing the Sid in the Morning show. It was a message from my brother, Alexander, and it was to me and to my other brother, Nicholas. Both Nicholas and I are very opposed to congestion pricing, mainly because we drive. We drive from the outer boroughs into Manhattan, and we would get walloped with this. So Alex sends me a message and says, I ho- Alex is very pro-congestion pricing. Uh, he says, I hope you will both support this plan. 
which I think addresses the issues you had with it. And sure enough, there is a draft plan for what congestion pricing will look like. And it's bad. It's not as horrible as I'd feared. It's still a disaster, but it's not a total disaster for those of us that drive in at this time. Tolls will only be in effect when entering the congestion pricing zone between 5 a.m. and 9 p.m. The West Side Highway and FDR are exempt, so my brother Nicholas can still drive to work, but we'll have to avoid driving through Manhattan streets, which is the entire point of the toll. But I have to tell you, the person that was making the most sense on the absurdity of this proposal, it's going to be $15, by the way, was my friend uh, and councilman Joe Borelli, the minority leader. He says, and you really leave it to Joe to figure out exactly, to drill down exactly to the stupidity of this. So if you're a low-income Manhattan resident living below 60th Street who needs a car, you get the benefit of cleaner air, less congestion, and a tax credit for your congestion fees. If you're a low-income schlub living above 60th Street, you get more congestion and no tax credit. Make it make sense, MTA. Councilmember Borelli is exactly right. This is still a very ill-considered plan. I am still dead set against this. I am going to do whatever I can to delay or remove to delay or stop its implementation, but at the very least, at least those of us that are driving in at this time won't have to deal with this absurd congestion pricing fee. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Common Cause New York and the Black Institute, a public policy think tank in New York State that focuses on issues impacting black New Yorkers, have teamed up. And I will tell you, I think they are one hundred percent right on this. These two groups, Common Cause, which is sort of a good government group, and the Black Institute have filed a lawsuit to prevent the usage of controversial touchscreen express vote XL voting machines in New York State. This is huge. The State Board of Elections approved the machines over opposition earlier this year. Now, so far, no county or no city in New York State actually uses these machines, but they could. They have the option thanks to the State Board of Elections, to buy these machines if they want to. This approval from the State Board of Elections was despite opposition from election security groups and experts, and they approved the Express Vote XL machines. Unlike the voting machines that are currently used throughout New York, voters would cast their vote through a touchscreen. Picture sort of like an ATM machine. They would cast their votes through a touchscreen rather than by marking a paper ballot and feeding that ballot ballot into a machine to get counted. Since their approval, as I said, no one is using these machines, but what this lawsuit is seeking to do is prevent them from being used in any elections next year. Groups like Common Cause and other election security experts have warned for years against the use of these machines. I have to tell you, they are exactly right. There is example after example of machine malfunctions related directly to the 
issue of the ability to verify one's ballot. Machines, I told you about this on election day, machines in Pennsylvania's Northampton County printed the wrong information for votes cast for two judicial candidates. And although election officials said that the votes were counted properly, how do we know? How do we know? The summary card that voters could review did not print the correct corresponding vote. The malfunction is just the latest in a series that groups like Common Cause New York have pointed to as consistent evidence that these touchscreen voting machines are not up to snuff. And I believe it's not at all consistent with what the law in New York says about what's permitted. So I hope this lawsuit is successful. Paper ballots are the way to go. At the very least, you need machines with a verifiable paper trail. What if there's an election challenge in a close race? How do you count the ballots? How do you go back and make sure the integrity of these elections? Without paper ballots, there's no way to do that. I don't trust it. I think it's vulnerable to hacking. I think it's vulnerable to malfunction. And I think it's vulnerable to manufacturer shenanigans, potentially. I have real concerns about voting machines that don't use any paper whatsoever, and that's what makes these so dangerous. So good for Common Cause and good for the Black Institute. I hope this lawsuit is successful. Beam me up! To be continued. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Do you remember the old slogan, when you see something, say something? Well, apparently that's true unless the people that you suspect of doing something happen to be black. This is an issue we've covered before, and there was a wonderful column recently in the New York Post by Naomi Schaefer Riley. Headline, Why is New York City telling teachers to not keep kids safe? Evidently, the guidance from New York City released last month for teachers offers some unusual bits of advice. Rather than reporting suspected cases of abuse to the Administration for Children's Services, ACS, teachers should actually remain quiet in instances where a family, quote, just needs help such as access to child care assistance, mental health counseling, or concrete resources. That's the word from Commissioner Jess Danhauser, as announced at a press conference in mid-October. The revised educator training is part of a plan to lower the number of children who are reported to ACS, and in particular, the disproportionate number of those children who are black and Latino. The need to reduce reporting numbers is clear. There's a lot of anecdotal evidence which suggests that too many kids are finding their way into the child welfare system. But the underlying assumption 
And again, uh, I am not for over-reporting to ACS. If a child is walking in the park by themselves or left alone in the car while a parent runs to the supermarket, these children are not in any actual danger. And calls to ACS over instances like that, they waste valuable time on the hotline and they waste resources and money and the uh, time and the finite resources of social workers. But the underlying assumption that students who come to class improperly close or washed or fed or who live in homes without heat. The assumption that those children are not the concern of the child welfare system is horribly misguided. Some of these children, some of these parents, quite frankly, may need mental health counseling or other sort of assistance. Keeping kids safe is not simple. It's not easy. I'm not trying to make it sound like it is. Well-meaning teachers might worry that a student is missing school, coming in late, or arriving unkempt and hungry. So the solution offered by Commissioner Danhauser and the Office of Children and Family Services to simply suggest the teachers keep their mouths shut more often does not work. Teachers are used to exercising their judgment when it comes to children, and they should absolutely continue to do so, irrespective of what this absurd guidance says. It's not racist to say that you think a child is in trouble when that child is in trouble. Beam me up! To be continued.